G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Now, if someone says to you, evolution is falsified as the cause of life, something happens. An internal conflict seems to take hold of you. On the one hand, as a Christian, you say, of course that's true because I believe God created the heavens and the earth and humanity. On the other hand, because evolution is taught as a fact in schools and in universities, you hold in tension that very smart people can't all be wrong. Well, an update today on the new life science of atomic biology that is promoted as the replacement for Darwinism. With input from dozens of PhD scientists, mathematicians and independent researchers, the evidence is accumulating. It appears simple, clear and logical. Atomic Biology's creator and author Tom Rogers is back with us today with an update on the latest developments. Tom Rogers is the president of Reality Research and Development Inc. and the Atomic Biology Institute in Vancouver, Canada. His outfit studies the precision physical works necessary for the construction, operation, maintenance and repair of living cells and entities, including us using atoms from available resources. Now, if it's sounding complicated, do bear with us. This is an exciting conversation ahead, and I want to make a very special welcome to Tom Rogers. Tom, welcome back. I'm here. Tom. Thanks Thanks for the introduction, Neil. Great to talk to you, and uh, we're on the line to you in Vancouver, Canada, and we're going to be talking about atomic biology. We've had you on before, and uh, so we've had some conversations, but we do need to recover some ground that gives us an idea of what atomic biology is and what it does. Uh, give us a little, in a nutshell, understanding of what atomic biology is. I will do that, and I am trying to keep the basics simple enough for fifth graders to understand because it's really a lot of logic, and uh, I I choose a fifth grade because that's where I learned that material things are made of atoms. And uh, if you look at your hands or any part of your body, that's made of atoms. So you can start by saying, well, where did they come from? And if you follow that a step further, you have to believe that it comes from what we put in our mouth and what we breathe in. There's not too many other choices, so that's where the atoms have to come from. So where do these atoms come from that we put in our mouth? Well, from our vegetables, our carrots and potatoes and peas and so on. And um, where did the atoms for those things come from? Well, it had to be from the soil and the rain and a bit from the air, and so you can really say honestly and logically that we are made from the dust or the soil in a two-step process, from atoms in the soil or dust to our food, and from the same atoms in our food to our cells and us. Okay, that's, uh, have we still got your time? Biology is studying. Yep. 
Good stuff. Uh, sorry, I thought you dropped out there for just a moment. Uh, made from the dust of the soil sounds very similar to the account we might read in Genesis uh, of Adam and Eve. And uh, I know yep. that there's something intentional when you do say that, but what we're talking about here is a scientific process, as you say, coming from the dust uh, to the food uh, to who we are. Uh, there is a connection there, isn't there? Absolutely. And I think it's pretty logical steps, Neil. I don't know if you follow that, but uh, there there really aren't any other sources for the atoms. It's just the magnificent way that they are handled that uh, is where God comes in. And this was really proven, and I know some scientists hate the idea, uh, and they say, oh, you can't prove anything. So the first question is, well, can you prove that statement? And, uh, of course, that, that uh, thwarts what they're trying to say. But here, you know, none of them are jumping off high buildings to say that maybe gravity isn't proven. You know, you aren't going to see that happen. So anyway, uh, 2016, the Nobel Prize winners for chemistry got the award for developing over a 33-year period some really simplistic little molecular machines. They just have a few atoms. And I'll, I'll compare that to our blood cells, for example, down, down the road a minute. But, but they took all this time to assemble these very simplistic little machines. And um, I talked to another fellow that got in about 11 years ago, um, a fellow by the name of James Tour, a brilliant uh, American at the Rice University, and um, he he talked to me about what they have to do to assemble these things. They have to work on a solid gold surface. They have to operate between 175 and 225 centigrade. Once they fashion a few atoms into a circle to make it like a little wheel, they have to make a little axle to go through it, then another little wheel of atoms. And once they get something assembled, then they have to stimulate it with ultraviolet light to make it move. So... It's totally unnatural for a start, and uh, we'd never get that kind of equipment to work inside of us. So my point is that what they have proven is that it takes far more intelligence to make the molecular machinery for ourselves uh, than mankind has. So it, it's actually super intelligence. So that's what I um, call this super intelligence force that can do this kind of work. And um, the the governments and our the majority of our citizens call this force God. Hmm. And uh, just just listening to the last bit of your last program about uh, you know gender identification and so on, um, things are getting so bizarre. And the, the government is really under attack by these various lobby groups that you know want their their way uh, to become the dominant way. But the the history of the government um, and the recognition of God by the government is very evident in the four nations that we've focused on, and that's Australia, Canada, the United States, the United Kingdom. In each of those countries, the majority of the citizens claim to be believers in God. And, uh, and uh, the governments, of course, have God sprinkled throughout them. I know that... Uh, in Australia, you, you uh, have celebrations of, of Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving, I believe, 
Is Thanksgiving a yearly... No, we, we uh, don't do Thanksgiving in the same way that Americans and perhaps Canadians do. Uh, we, mm-hmm. have, uh, we have a, a national day of thanks, uh, but we don't do Thanksgiving in the way that you do. Uh, but, uh, when okay. we, but when we talk about God, uh, you know, yeah. we have, as Christians, uh, our idea of God is shaped by our Judeo-Christian heritage, by the fact that we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, we believe that is a revelation from God of himself. And so, uh, but but some people will have something in the middle somewhere, and 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 will will try and say, well, you're talking about a super intelligence. Uh, we'll call that super intelligence God. We might not connect that super intelligence with the God of the Bible. Uh, so when you've got scientists who are reviewing the sorts of things that you're coming out with, Tom. I imagine their first step is not to say this is the God of the Bible. They're probably saying it, there perhaps is room for a superintelligence, but it may not be the God of the Bible. Is that what uh, you sort of the, the feedback you get? It is to a degree, and, and there are all kinds of variations now. Like our, our definition of God, I think, is getting a little cloudy, and that's partly, and, and I think mainly, um, or perhaps mainly because we've now got about three generations of teaching that uh, evolution is the cause of life, so what do we need God for? And especially for students going into university, into science studies, and um, they literally get God beat beat out of their vocabulary pretty much there. And, uh, of course, you, you better stick to the line that says, you know, evolution is the cause of life on your exam or you're not going to pass. So, you know, after three generations of that, uh, you know, of course, a lot of the parents that have children going to university now are are um, facing the same problem. And even from Christian families, their uh, young people going to university are attacked, you know, severely in many cases with this idea that uh, there even is a God. Mm. And um, so... We're we're trying to provide science there, and uh, really reviewing the benefits of what we're doing. It occurred to me that maybe the top one right now is to help the government defend their inclusion of God in their constitutions and so on, and um, because they are under attack in that way. So here's some science to back up their position. Okay, let's. Uh, we'll get into some crunching some numbers here, uh, Tom, because I okay. know there's uh, I know there's some numbers to crunch, and uh, those yep. who are very scientifically minded will be hanging on every single word. Uh, for those who are not mm-hmm. quite so scientifically minded, and we talk some about these these types of numbers, uh, as you've just indicated in telling that story a few moments ago about uh, you know scientists making machines that can arrange some atoms the idea of those atoms coming from the dust of the soil to the food and then to the sustaining of life as we know it as we are as we can all look at as you say look at your own hand well yes we are here and something is sustaining that the way that those atoms formed and if you're coming down to the very very basic uh, assumption here that this is not random, that this requires super intelligence. Now, if we come then to some of these sort of statistical numbers that uh, that you're able to quote, uh, hit, us, hit us with a few of those because uh, these things are mind-boggling 
and yet so refreshing when it comes to our understanding of a super intelligence that we call God. Exactly, and and here's here's a couple of examples that I'll give you, and it just shows how carefully we have to be put together, even down at the atomic level. And um, if we look at our DNA, and DNA is a pretty popular subject uh, these days, and uh, of interest to a lot of people, and the there are four bases that. Um, are are made and and uh, programmed together to provide the information that that is needed to make our cells function the way they're supposed to function according to the builder. So here's here is um, uh, two of the bases, and they're all very very similar. But the, the first two I picked here is uh, adenine, and here's what has to be done to make adenine. You have to Find five atoms of carbon, five atoms of hydrogen, five atoms of nitrogen. It has to come from your digestive system because that's that's where the source is, and um, the digestive system you know feeds it to the blood system, and, and uh, so that's how it gets to a cell construction site. So anyway, those are five atoms of each carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen. Then another base is guanine, which is five atoms of carbon, five atoms of hydrogen, five added atoms of nitrogen, one atom of oxygen added. And that one atom difference is how careful the these bases, which are made by the billions for every strand of uh, DNA in our body, you know, that, that's how much care has to be taken to put them together. And the other two bases are very similar. They're only different by a few atoms. So uh, that, that was one point I wanted to make, is that there's incredible care. And, of course, it's got to be the right atoms. You know, you can't start mixing zinc or arsenic or anything else in there. It won't work. So it's, it's got to be these particular atoms. And uh, then for numbers, what what really got to me a few years ago was um, I was... I was putting together some information from three different scientists that uh, had analyzed various parts of our red blood cells. A guy by the name of Pallister uh, determined that uh, a 150-pound male um, gets about 2.3 million new red blood cells every second. And then a fellow by the name of Tortora um, said, well, every... A uh, red blood cell has about 280 million molecules of hemoglobin. And a fellow by the name of Max Perutz, looking at hemoglobin, says, oh, but every uh, molecule of hemoglobin has about 10,000 atoms. So if you do the math, here's the number, 6,400 quadrillion right atoms per second just to make new red blood cells for somebody in the neighborhood of 150 pounds, so you can relate that to your own weight. Okay, well, we'll come back. how much work is happening for you. Yes, and uh, we'll talk some more, and uh, no doubt there's plenty more examples to be able to bring. Uh, What you're Mm -hmm. saying here is the way the atoms arrange themselves uh, is in itself requiring a super intelligence to make that happen. And uh, yes. I know that the step on from that is 
how the atoms actually then move in unison together, which really adds another uh, whole dimension to the need for superintelligence because if the evolutionary idea is true, then everything happens randomly, and this is certainly not random. We're going to return and uh, we'll talk some more in just a few moments. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Inviting you to join in our conversation on 1-800-316-316 or leave a note on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. A fascinating conversation. Tom Rogers is our guest, president of Reality Research and Development and the Atomic Biology Institute talking about a new godly science and it's called atomic biology. Uh, Tom, if we're talking developments on the idea of atoms forming themselves in a, a way that you say requires a super intelligence, uh, let's move into that other way that is also requiring a super intelligence, the way that then they, those atoms might move together in unison. Uh, what are your thoughts on, uh, is there some numbers you can crunch for us on that particular direction? Uh, to a degree, um, I will just go back to our DNA and uh, a, a quote from uh, Mr. Bill Gates from the Microsoft organization, uh, because he, of course, is, has uh, learned of this programming and DNA as well. And his comment is that Microsoft hasn't come anywhere near the complexity of the programming that is in every strand of DNA. Microsoft hasn't been able to come anywhere close to that. So that that's a, uh, a pretty astounding comment, I would say. And um, I, I do want to interject with the fact that we do have an Australian involved with this book here, and that's Dr. Graham McLennan. He was a, a co-author to the point where he wrote the chapter on um, God's involvement in the government of Australia. So I want to give a little credit for him. And uh, if I may add one other thing from Australia that's in the book, because I, I just had to put this in as one of the uh, review quotes. I should just say, I should just say, Tom, that the name of the book that you're yeah. talking about. So, who is this God of our nations, and what does He do for us? Uh, and uh, yes, of course, so there's, yes, there's, that there's was the first book. That's right, and there's been this some developments. Called, yes, this one's called Darwin's Replacement. Ah, right. And um, the the subtitle and the the latest version is bringing the God of our nations back to our students with a new basic science. So that's that's the latest version, and and they're now printed in Australia as well as United States and uh, Britain. So okay. if it's okay, I'd yes. like to quote this uh, one lady from Western Australia sure. that heard uh, one of our earlier talks. And she says, uh, Hi, Reality R&D. I recently bought the book, and I'm reading it slowly and out loud to myself so that it sticks. But can I say that when I heard Mr. Rogers on Vision, I knew that this was a book I'd been waiting for for a very long time. I honestly can't put into words how exciting this is for me to finally have something I can refer to when discussing creation and not sound like a loony. Okay. <laughs> I just love that. I just thought... <laughs> This is great. Well, I've got to say, Tom, that this is what is so refreshing about your research is that, as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, there is something common sense 
about this scientific idea and I know that listeners will be able to hear that common sense in our conversation today and uh, almost in talking about something so sophisticated, so complex and yet this is not such a hard thing to understand if you hear a clear presentation. Uh, Tom, we'll continue the conversation, but I'm inviting listeners to call in on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Why don't we take a call or two? Let's hear from Rosemary in Melbourne. Hello, Rosemary. Welcome along. Oh, thank you, Neil. Good morning, Neil. Good to hear from you, Rosemary. What are your thoughts for our conversation today? Um, I was just thinking of something else while I'm listening. Um, I've got a couple of points. Um, first of all, um, in the Bible, in Genesis, God tells us, from dust I have created you, and to dust you will return. Yep. As human beings, right. and, and also beyond human beings as well. And um, also, um, human uh, is from breathing air and also food, but that goes back to uh, food, and as was explained, um, food goes back to uh, atoms. And then at a slight tangent, and I've slightly forgotten all of this, atoms in a particular detailed way, which is specific, um, an atom is also further made from protons, electrons and neutrons. Okay. So um, there's more... The complexity continues to the complexity continues to become even more sophisticated. And uh, while you're talking at a particular level here, Tom, I'll get your response for Rosemary. But yes, uh, even when you break down the atom, you're talking more sophistication that also affirms the need for a superintelligence. That's correct, and uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Rosemary, because a lot of people take. Things, including scientists, take some things totally for granted without really realizing what actually has to happen within an atom. And one of the main things is that those electrons have to be moved perpetually. Now, perpetual motion is not a normal phenomenon in, in science and nature. And so there has to be a controlled supply of energy to move those electrons not too fast so they fly out of orbit, not too slow so they implode into the nucleus. So this brings on the aspect of the fact that there has to be controlled energy supplied, and it also brings in the fact that if we have atoms all throughout our body and there is a form of God's presence there, this can explain how he is omniscient, how he knows you know, what our thoughts are, what we're going to say before we say it, because he has that presence in each atom. So, you know, it's, it's just another item that, that uh, has been taken for granted and not explained. And uh, if I can add one more thing, these, these atoms, they do have energy supplied, but they don't have life of their own. So once they are assembled into cell parts and cells, that breath of life has to be added because, as, as one of my uh, um, principles that are listed in the book... Well, Atomic Biology's creator and author, Tom Rogers, is back with us today. 
and updating the latest developments. Tom is president of Reality Research and Development and the Atomic Biology Institute in Vancouver, Canada. We're on the line with Tom from Vancouver. Uh, Tom, uh, let's uh, let's before we get into some more uh, developments, let's take another call. Zoran is in Redcliffe in Queensland, been waiting patiently. Hello, Zoran. What are your thoughts, or do you have a question for our guest? Yeah, listen, I've got a couple of... Um, so, obviously, God did create the heavens and the earth, and he also created the galaxies. So, there has to be super intelligence, and you know that by everything that NASA sends out when it collects atomic energy in space. Also, with, with um, a, probably a question and probably maybe an equivalent answer to the atoms of biology, what you're seeking from the soil, when, when an atom does become concentrated it explodes a bit like when you make beer you split an atom and it explodes and that what gives us the bubbly stuff that we have in beer so what you're determining is when you're taking it out of the soil you're you're stretching that atom so i suppose why what are you looking out of it and what do you think will become of it tom Uh, tom your thoughts for zoran okay um, I, I wouldn't say that atoms are being stretched, but they have to be. They have to be found. Like the right atoms have to be found, sorted, selected, latched onto, precisely placed, hooked up. There's a whole bunch of work to make every cell for every uh, morsel of our food. Um, but I wouldn't say the atoms are actually being stretched. Uh, but they're certainly the key building blocks. Okay, well, and Zoran just got to draw attention to your illustration all about beer. I think there was an Aussie movie about 20 years ago. I think it was called Young Einstein, and yeah. uh, that was all about uh, putting the bubbles in beer. I'm not sure whether that's as scientific as as uh, as what some might think, but uh, certainly good input from you today. Thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Our special guest is Tom Rogers. He's president of Reality Research and development and the Atomic Biology Institute. Uh, Tom, let's just pick up on a thread that began to emerge just before the news uh, when we were talking about uh, the idea of intelligence and atoms that move. Uh, Where intelligence starts is at the adding of energy to the atom. Uh, But where does life begin from that point? Uh, Give us uh, your thoughts. Okay. Um, atoms uh, have a controlled supply of energy to move the electrons, but they don't have life on their own. However, when they are assembled into a um, cell with all the right cell parts, and there are several molecular machines and a nucleus, and there's, they're often compared in science to a city, actually. There's so many of the Things that make a city function are actually within a cell, which is so so tiny. But anyway, <clears throat> until the cell parts are assembled into an actual cell, uh, life hasn't been added. But if it isn't added, then there isn't going to be life. And and I made in one of my uh, seven principles of life in the book uh, this this uh, remark that dead dogs don't bark, even though. Every atom and molecule is in exactly the right place for its eyes and ears and nose and mouth and teeth and so on. 
if that spark of life has been removed, that dog is not going to go anywhere. And uh, so it is with, with new cells. They're not going to function unless the life is added. So that is that is another uh, really beyond superintelligence, I think. I mean, we can't fathom how much intelligence it would take to add life to something. And um, so anyway, we're using the term superintelligence just to show that it's way beyond the intelligence level of mankind with all our sophisticated equipment and so on. And... Um, that evolution is really out of the picture because it claims not to need any intelligence to work. Uh, Tom, your new book is called Darwin's Replacement, and I'm wondering what sort of response you're getting from academics and scientists and whether academia is ready for a new alternative view, given that uh, generation upon generation, as you were talking, uh, teaching evolution uh, exclusively is the cause of life. Uh, what sort of what sort of feedback, what sort of uh, what do you do as you check the pulse of, of what's happening in science circles? Are people uh, receptive to this idea of, uh, of atomic biology? Well, some are and and uh, some aren't, and it's quite interesting to see. Like we have several um, good endorsements in the front of the book from PhDs and so on. But um, when you get into a conversation and start talking about these things, and people go back to what they've been taught, it's very difficult to change some people's minds because this is a this is a concept they've been raised on, you know, through their their um, education, especially if they're interested in science and biology. So to change that um, basic understanding that they've been given by people they've relied on to teach them the truth, it it becomes difficult, and they start feeding back what they've been taught. And so I try to take them step by step on exactly what has to happen because. Science hasn't gone down to the atomic level before, it seems. I, I've spent months looking for books that had anything to do with uh, um, biology at the atomic level. And, you know, we've, we've got cellular biology and we've got molecular biology. But I have a feeling now that maybe they didn't want to go to the atomic level because then you know, intelligent decisions and choices by the millions have to be made to put things together. So it may have been avoided on purpose by the by the established community of, of uh, basically evolution teachers. And I'm, I'm not sure how flexible um, your science is in Australia, but in the United States, for example, boy, if you dare to suggest to your students that uh, there might be some intelligence even in the way living things are designed, you can be taken to court, and your school board can be taken to court, and they run you out of, of, of time and money to, to the point where they give up. And um, so that's, that's the vicious opposition that um, we're kind of facing here. And um, I, think, I think that if we can persuade the Americans to, um, first of all, accept the concept, and this is really a no-brainer, we shouldn't even be talking about it, but just to allow science to go where the evidence leads without reprisal. You know, I mean, that should be a no-brainer. That's what science is all about. It's, it's, it's following with the evidence where it's taking you, and that's how you learn how, you know, more, more truth and uh, how things work. So I think it's a great disservice to our students and, 
you know, up-and-coming scientists, we're, we're giving them a very dull tool when we give them false information instead of what's actually happening. Well, and um, so, yeah. Tom, I suspect that in Australia uh, there is also that sort of animosity that comes uh, when uh, issues like atomic biology might be brought into the classroom, but I need to leave it to some listeners who might be able to contribute more deeply on the attitudes there. But uh, let me just <coughs> just quiz you for a moment, excuse me, I'll clear my throat, uh, sure. that you're not even uh, dismissing the possibility that when you mentioned courts, that you may even pursue some level of legal action when it comes to how uh, scientists are not moving where the evidence leads. Uh, what are your uh, intentions or what are your, the possibilities there? Absolutely. No, I, I feel that that is um, an essentiality, the way things are going, that we have to persuade the government that science being taught in their institutions is should be encouraged to go where the evidence is leading and not blocked because that is putting a stumbling block in progress. And um, I, I see benefits for atomic biology extending into uh, better nutrition, better agriculture, better aquaculture, better medicines, and a number of other things, let alone the, the effect of uh, letting students know, especially the ones that might feel that nobody cares about them, that, boy, they are immensely cared for, and um, and here's how, and somebody is up there and inside really, really loving them, in fact. And um, and that might might help a number of them, because the, um, I don't know if you know the name Madeline Murray O'Hare, uh, if that name rings any bells. Uh, not for me, but listeners might be. I beg your pardon? Uh, I'm not familiar with her, but uh, listeners okay, might be. Okay, okay. Well, this, this goes back probably before your time, Neil, because you're younger than I am. <laughs> <laughs> back in 1963, she um, she got some other atheist friends together, and they persuaded the uh, Supreme Court in the United States to take prayer out of the schools. Okay, so that okay, was yeah. 1963, and coincidentally, from that point on, the number of teen pregnancies, sexually transmitted diseases, addictions to drugs and abuses, um, depression, suicide, they all really started to escalate, and it really hasn't slowed down. Uh, we have a situation here where we're losing, in Vancouver, about four people per day to uh, overdoses of opioids. You know, it's it's an incredible phenomenon, and I don't know if people are doing it because they don't feel anybody loves them or whatever. But you can get hooked very easily. That's that's just another aspect. I'm I'm just hoping that if we can bring a godly science to the classroom, that it's it's going to have some spin-off benefits in the way of uh, you know providing a moral compass providing hope, providing the understanding how much they're cared for. So that's part of where we're, we're hoping this goes. Uh, it's so significant because people are not necessarily, as far as I can uh, can uh, can think about these sorts of things as connecting uh, some of the dreadful things that are happening within societies to the idea that uh, there is this connection to 
people who believing uh, believe that evolution is uh, a fact, and uh, and of course that then turns people's behaviours into a random act, just like evolution. So uh, the idea of protection, of love, of a a good uh, outcome for life actually does come back to some of these foundations of what we believe about beginnings, about life, about super intelligence, about the presence of God. So this is why this is so uh, so important as a connection and why I mentioned uh, a little earlier when uh, you had a book that was uh, out, uh, the first one, uh, so who is this God of our nations and what does he do for us? The idea of inclusion of a new science in a book about God and his good intentions for for nations. This is where the connection is, Tom. Yes, indeed. That's right. And uh, so we come back to this idea that perhaps we can help the government defend their their high recognition of God in the government um, through this science. They can put science behind it now, and that'll help to thwart some of these people who are trying to get God totally out of the... Um, uh, picture with with government. So, okay, let's take another it's, call. It's been a steady trend. Be pardon. Let's take another call. Pete is on the line in Victoria. Hello, Pete. Welcome along. Hi, uh, Neil and Tom and listeners. Uh, I want to say that technology and ad- medical advancements only confirm the laws of physics. With the rise of medical advancements and technology, social scientists say we don't need God, but they won't. Um, but they won't um, tell you there are many picture-perfect, healthy, wealthy people who are suffering depression because medical advancements and technology can't satisfy our soul. You can't have a relationship with a pill nor with an app. Joy, hope and peace excels medical advancements and technology just as light excels darkness, the Bible says. Jesus himself said, I have come that they may have life and that more abundantly. Pete, good thoughts. Uh, response Amen. from uh, response from you, Tom. Yes, indeed. Well, this brings up an excellent point. And uh, my wife um, was a nurse in charge of the um, uh, heart center hospital for uh, our, our province, British Columbia. And um, she has found, and, and it's been backed up by medical uh, professionals all across the country, and that is that uh, people who have a uh, Christian faith and they are prayed for um, by others will respond more quickly. They have a better chance of full recovery. Um, Bonnie has watched uh, children. I'm thinking of one case, just for example, this young young child had really lost all all uh, uh, form of life, all function of life. But there was a group around praying for him, and they actually watched the color come back into this young fellow's uh, face, and and uh, he started breathing again, and and his heart started beating. It was just a phenomenal response to prayer, and and the the doctors will admit that yes. Uh, Christians in particular, and those that are prayed for uh, regarding their operations, are going to recover faster and better. Okay. So that's significant. 
All right. Thank you so much to Pete from Victoria. That is very, very significant. And uh, I know that listeners will be able to hear the significance in that because just the uh, concept here, and uh, of course we know there's more to it, but there's this idea of the transcendence of God and his influence upon the way we believe, the way we live our lives, the aspirations, the hopes that we have, all of that is so interconnected. Uh, Let's not lose our track, though, on scientists here, uh, because you've got some initiatives, as we talk about developments, Tom, uh, some initiatives to unite various science groups that all believe that God has some part in life. Uh, because at the moment, is there a bit of a scatter, a scattered approach uh, to, from various scientific groups? Uh, what are your thoughts on, on bringing them all together? Well, that, I believe, is another necessity. If we are going to uh, bring in a new science to replace Darwinism's, We've got to get together and and come up with one that we can all agree on. Otherwise, I don't think that we're going to be listened to by the government because we're we're going everywhere from uh, intelligent design, uh, creation science, theistic evolution, progressive evolution, and and many different um, facets and looks at the involvement of God in life. Um, and and basically, there are believers there, but I, I have a feeling that some of them are trying to include evolution just to kind of, you know, satisfy the evolutionists that are already there. That we're not, you know, throwing it all out. And 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 from our perspective, we we're not saying that evolution doesn't exist, but we are saying evolution as the cause of life doesn't exist. Um, but mutation cells have to be constructed like every other cell. And um, how God changes things uh, in cells uh, is, is his business. And, you know, our ways aren't his ways, but he can, he can make things happen any way he wants to. And sometimes, you know, we've, we've heard that the, the sins of the Father can be passed down for third and fourth generation. And I don't know if that's part of it or not. I just know that mutation cells have to be constructed just like any other cells. It certainly is uh, food for thought in those ideas. Uh, Tom, the book Darwin's Replacement, it is available in Australia uh, as well as in the US and the UK and in Canada. Uh, when people get a hold of a copy of Darwin's Replacement, uh, just let us in on some insights. Uh, is it easy to read? Can ordinary people who are not scientists digest the sorts of ideas that are in there? And is this something that can equip uh, believers with, as you mentioned, that listener to Vision who contacted you last time we spoke, uh, giving them some tools to be confident with in the way that they approach a conversation about science? Yes, indeed. And uh, we it, it's been a bit of a difficult uh, set of choices because you do want to keep it simple enough for for um, a lay person to understand, um, for the most part at least. Uh, but on the other hand, you've got to talk about science at a level where scientists will say, "Oh, yeah, that that uh, does make sense, and that is scientific, and so on." So it's been a, a bit of a balance. But basically, the the basics of atomic biology are simple enough for a fifth grader, and uh, that comes back to this idea of 
you know, the fact that we are made of atoms and where do the atoms come from and what has to happen to them at a cell construction site. So the, the basics are pretty simple, actually, and I think irrefutable because we, we now have proof at the highest level of uh, Nobel Prize winners you know, showing how, how near impossible it is to make a molecular machine, and we get several of them built into every cell every day. You know, and they took 33 years to make these really simplistic ones. So that that's an indication of what kind of intelligence it takes to put us together and how much care it takes. That's the other thing. Care, reliability, precision, uh, speed, and, and uh, dexterity. I mean, they're all phenomenal uh, aspects of building cells for us and uh, and and repairing and replacing them as well is another aspect. It's not just building the first set, but it's it's keeping them going for uh, four decades, and or I should eight, say eight decades, four four score years. Right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, Tom, time is running out very quickly, and uh, to draw attention to the book Darwin's Replacement, and I imagine that if listeners simply Google Darwin's Replacement, it'll be available through Amazon and. Uh, uh, good bookstores, as you did mention, available here in Australia. And no doubt yes. it'll be a read that uh, some who are interested and passionate about this topic uh, will desperately want to get a hold of. And it's called Darwin's Replacement. And as Tom says, it is easy to read. It's got a balance between being targeted to be understood by a fifth grader, uh, but also has in there some level of scientific sophistication uh, that uh, will satisfy uh, some of the thoughts and perhaps even fuel some of the thinking about uh, these ideas we've been talking about over this past hour. Uh, our great mm-hmm. privilege today to be talking to Tom Rogers. He is Atomic Biology's creator and he is the president of Reality Research and Development and the Atomic Biology Institute in Vancouver, Canada. And Tom, I appreciate you staying up a little later into the evening and talking to us today and sharing your thoughts and your heart with us on 2020. Thanks so much for being with us thank you neil appreciate it before you go thanks for listening there's lots more great audio on demand or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au and remember vision is listener supported your donation large or small will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across australia and around the world learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au